Today I'm going to begin a brand new series and I'm going to start talking about a hardened heart. We're going to talk about what that is and then what causes it and how to reverse this process. And let me just say up front that, you know, this title, Hardness of Heart, I know that a lot of people tend to be put off by this title that I have. But the reason I've done that is because basically this is something that God spoke to me and this is exactly the way he spoke it to me. I'm going to be going through a lot of detail in sharing these things with you, but there was a series of things happening in my life that I was believing for certain things, primarily about healing for other people, praying to see people heal. And I wasn't seeing the healings manifest the way that I know it was God's will for me to see them. And I got to praying about it. And basically the Lord just told me it's because I had a hardened heart. And so this is how God spoke it to me. I mean, God just speaks real plain to me. As most of you know, I speak real plain to other people. And God will communicate with you where you are. So for those of you who like to call a spade a shovel, this is entitled Hardness of Heart. (laughs) And for those of you who want a more politically correct a uh, sensitive thing, maybe we'll just talk about how to have a pure heart or an established heart or how to be sensitive to God. But whatever you call it, I really believe that this is a teaching that is going to meet you right where you are. This is super practical. Recently, I taught on um, the war is over. And that was a very strong teaching about how that God is not imputing our sins unto us, that people don't go to hell for their individual sins, the really the only issue is whether or not they accept Jesus. If they accept Jesus, they go to heaven and get all of Jesus' righteousness imputed unto them. If they reject Jesus, they go to hell not because of their sins, but because they refused the payment for their sins. And I've made a point of this, and it's very powerful, and I, I'm not backing off of this any at all. But you know, there is a flip side to this coin. And as I went through this teaching, I emphasized a number of times that if anybody says what I'm teaching is just encouraging people to live in sin and that sin doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether you live holy, I made this statement a number of times that either you are totally missing my point or you are out and out lying and misrepresenting me. And I've I've said a lot of things about the goodness and the grace of God, the mercy of God, to say that there's still reasons that we need to live holy. But it's not so that God will accept us. God accepts us based solely upon our acceptance of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And if we accept Jesus, then regardless of our performance, God loves us and is pleased with us because we are accepted in the Beloved. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says. We are accepted with God through what Jesus has done for us, not what we do for God major, major point. But what I'm wanting to do through this series is to show you the flip side of the coin. Even though nothing that we do uh, changes God's attitude towards us, if we have made Jesus our Lord, you are accepted with God through what Jesus has done for you. Period. That's it. But does that mean that we just go live in sin? No, because your actions don't change God's heart towards you. But, now this is really important, your actions change your heart towards God. If you aren't seeking God, if you don't study the Word and pray and go to church, if you, 
identify and associate with people who are God-haters, and if that is the dominant influence in your life, you are going to have a hardened heart compared to the person who identifies with people who love God. Now, there needs to be a little qualification here because there's a lot of people who say they love God. They could be religious people and be as mean as a snake and not truly love God at all. I mean, there's a lot of hypocrites that are claiming to be followers of the Lord. But I'm saying if you identify with people who love God, it tends to affect your heart. If you uh, identify with people who hate God, it affects your heart. Now, some of you are probably disagreeing with what I'm saying, so let me give you a scripture that just says basically this exact same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 And in verse 33, it says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And the word communication here isn't limited to what we use the word communication for today. This is an old English word that just meant talk, conversation. And actually, it even goes beyond just the words you say to the manner of life or lifestyle. If you have an evil lifestyle, it'll corrupt your good manners. Even if you have a commitment to the Lord and you love God in your heart, but if the people that are your closest friends, and and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, I believe that Christians need to associate with non-believers. The salt has to get out of the salt shaker in order to do any good. I don't believe in this concept of us living a totally withdrawn life in a monastery and afraid that we're going to lose our anointing and blessing if we have any contact with people who aren't just like us. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that even though we have contact with unbelievers and we are in the world, we definitely need to be not of the world. And the closest friends that you have ought to be people who are going to be drawing you towards God, not leading you away from God. Now again, there's, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong having contact with unbelievers, but it needs to be in a controlled environment and it doesn't need to be the dominant influence in your life. So the point that I'm saying through all of this is that these things, associating with believers, studying the Word, praying, living right, doing all of these kind of things, they aren't necessary for God to love you. God loves you independent of your performance. You do not have to live holy in order to have God love you. Major, major difference between what I'm saying right here and what the typical church is preaching. The typical church is saying that if you don't study the Word, go to church, pay your tithes, do this, 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 and this, then God basically loses His respect for you. He's not going to bless you. He's not going to answer your prayers. He's not going to flow in your life. The basic church today is preaching that God moves in your life proportional to your performance. I'm saying just the opposite. Your performance doesn't affect God's heart towards you at all. But... Does that lead us to the conclusion then that performance is unnecessary? No, that's not what I'm saying. Performance is very necessary, but not in order to affect God's heart. Performance, what you do, who you associate with, affects your heart. It is the dominant influence on your heart. So even though God's heart may be the same towards you, If you have made Jesus your Lord and if you have accepted Him, then God loves you based on what Jesus has done for you. God is passionate about you. God is not imputing your sin unto you. God loves you, period. 
That's all that there is to it and there is nothing that you can do about it. God loves you independent of your performance. You aren't going to change God's heart by performing better. You aren't going to change His heart by performing worse. He loves you independent of your performance. But that doesn't mean that your performance is is a non-issue because your performance, who you associate with, the things that you focus your attention upon controls whether your heart is sensitive to God or whether it's hardened towards God. I'm not saying that God accepts you or rejects you based on your performance, but there still are consequences to your performance. If you don't seek God, and these are the things that I'm going to be bringing out as we get further into this teaching. If you don't seek God, your heart will become hardened towards God. Cold, insensitive, unfeeling, and unyielding. Not because God is turning off His love and the movement of His power. God isn't affected by your performance, but you are. Your heart will be sensitive to whatever you focus your attention upon. And again, let me just give you a little background on this. Uh, A number of things have happened. I'll make this very short, but I had prayed to see some people healed and I've seen healings before. Matter of fact, the very one of the things that really was a catalyst in bringing this whole thing to light was that I had prayed for a man who was in a wheelchair. And I had just seen a man raised from the dead in Pritchett, Colorado. I mean, it was an absolutely awesome experience. And because of that, I had always believed that it was God's will to heal and that God could still do the same miracles today as we read about in the Bible. But when I saw this man raised from the dead, it was like everything that I'd been believing and striving for was confirmed. I knew it was God's will. I knew nothing was impossible with God. And man, I was pumped. I was excited. I went and held this meeting and there was a man who was in a wheelchair and I could hardly wait on myself to get through preaching so that I could go over and minister to this guy. My logic was that if God just raised this guy from the dead, it shouldn't be any big deal to see this guy who was paralyzed and in a wheelchair heal. So as soon as I got through, I just walked over to him, grabbed him by the hand, and I said, in the name of Jesus, walk. And I grabbed him and I pulled him out of that wheelchair. And this was a big guy. And I mean, he just came out of that wheelchair like this and fell right over on his face on the floor. And he was paralyzed. He couldn't catch himself. And I was shocked. I was embarrassed. I was shamed. I mean, this was a big guy. He was would have been over six foot tall if he could have stood up. And I had to grab this guy. I basically bear hugged him, put him back in his wheelchair, apologized, said, you know, be warmed and filled. And yet I couldn't give him what he needed. And I sent him on his way. And I went to the hotel room. That was in Omaha, Nebraska. And I went to my hotel room, and man, I was just devastated. And um, I, I was struggling about, God, I saw you raise a person from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. And man, I stood and did what I thought was your will and didn't see the right results. And that just really bothered me. Not only bothered me for that guy's sake, but just bothered me that, you know what, I want to I represent God better than that. So I was seeking about this. And there's a number of other things happened. I hadn't got time to go through it. But over a couple of years, period of time, 
All of these things kind of converged. Two or three different things just converged to where this was just like the focus. I was saying, God, I've got to get an answer. And one day I was flying on an airplane. I was going from Toledo, Ohio, uh, I think over to Chicago. And I was in this airplane and I was reading out of Mark chapter 6. And I was reading the instance where Jesus fed the 5,000 men, it doesn't say how many women and children were there, but just 5,000 men is probably at least 10 or 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And as I was reading this, you know, I'm sure that most of you can relate to this. There's sometimes when you read the Bible and it just is alive to you. It's speaking to you. Every word is penetrating. And then there's other times that you could read an entire chapter and you close your Bible, you wouldn't even know what chapter of the Bible you were reading from. You couldn't remember a word. Your mind was really someplace else. Well, this was one of those instances where I was reading this and it was just speaking volumes to me. And I was overwhelmed. I mean, it was just nearly like I was there when Jesus was uh, feeding this 5,000 and multiplied the food, and it just really impacted me. So I was in this airplane, I was reading this story, and right after Jesus fed the 5,000, it says here in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, "...in straight way he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people." And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And again, as I was reading this, it was like every word was just speaking to me. And I had just read about him, the miracle of feeding the 5,000. I was reading about Jesus walking on the water, the very thing that was about to kill them. It was no problem to Jesus. Jesus was walking. That just still shocks me. It amazes me that God is so awesome, so powerful, that the very thing that was about to kill these disciples, this raging storm, Jesus was just walking on top of it. It was no different than walking through a pasture somewhere. It's no big deal. And, you know, there are so many applications that we could draw of this to ourselves. That sometimes you think your problem is so terrible, it's so hard, and yet it's no big deal for God. He was just walking on top of the sea. And I got to this part where they saw him, they cried out, he calmed the wind and the seas, he got into the boat. And if you read this same instance, it's recorded in John chapter 6, it says over there that when Jesus entered into the boat, that the boat was translated to the other side of the sea. I mean, the boat and the disciples and Jesus were all just instantly on the other side of the sea. Not only was the storms calm, but they were all translated. I, all of these things just kind of converged on me and I was just overwhelmed. And I remember sitting in this airplane, I put my Bible down, I looked out the window and we were flying above clouds. And I'm sure that many of you have had this experience where, you know, it's just a solid layer of clouds and I was looking out that window and in my mind's eye, I just imagined seeing Jesus 
walking across those clouds and coming and sitting on the wing of that plane. Somebody may think this is silly, but I was just picturing that and I thought, you know what? It wouldn't be any stranger. It wouldn't take any more power. It wouldn't be any greater of a miracle to see Jesus walk on those clouds and sit on the wing of that plane than he was to walk on the water. It's all impossible. And in my mind's eye, I was just seeing these things and I was overwhelmed. And when it came to this scripture in Mark 6, 51, that says he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. See, when it said that and I read that, I was thinking, God, that's exactly how I am. I'm overwhelmed with the magnitude of what Jesus could do. His awesome power. I was just overwhelmed. I was sore amazed in myself beyond measure and wondered. And I was, I was feeling very satisfied with that. Thinking, man, what a great thing. And thinking anybody, anybody, if they really thought about this, should be sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And then I read the next verse. And, and I mean, it's just like God, in a sense, just slapped me in the face. Now, I'm not saying he did, but I'm just saying it was that stark of a reaction. It's just like, boom, it pulled me out of this attitude that I was in. In the next verse, it says, for, and the word for is a conjunction. It means it links this sentence to the previous sentence. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And so you put all this together. The reason they were sore amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and wondered was because they hadn't considered the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. In other words, here I was feeling just wonderful about how how overwhelmed I was with the awesome power and display of God, thinking about the things that He had done. And this verse put it into the perspective that you know what, the reason you're shocked, overwhelmed, by what God can do is because you have a hardened heart. That's what the Lord spoke to me. And I still remember sitting in that plane when the Lord spoke that to me and this just, I mean, it was like a dagger in my heart. And lights began to go off. I began to start getting revelation. Because let me say something here that I think most of you or many of you will probably agree with. You know, I never considered myself as a person with a hardened heart. I was a person that was seeking God. I loved God. I was a minister. I was doing all of these things. And I thought a person with a hardened heart was a, was a God hater, an atheist, somebody who was out raping and plundering, murdering, doing all of these things, liars, stealers, drug addicts, prostitutes, dope addicts. You know, those are the kind of people I would have thought had a hardened heart. But here I was, a person that loved God with my whole heart, And I had never, it had never crossed my mind that I could have a hardened heart. And yet, I was identifying totally with what the disciples were doing here where they were just shocked to see Jesus come walking on top of the water, still the storm, and then translate them and the boat to the other side of the lake. And I was shocked. They were so amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. That's exactly the way that I was. And the scripture here, in a sense, rebuked them, saying it was because they had a hardened heart. And this just shocked me. Because it was saying that the reason I was amazed was because of a hardened heart. Now, some of you may be misunderstanding what I'm saying here. I'm not saying this to put anybody down. 
But I'm just saying that this condition of having, having a hardened heart isn't reserved for people who just hate God and are in rebellion towards God. I believe that every person watching this program or listening by radio, now you may take this as a negative statement, but it's just the truth and it's intended to open our eyes so that we can be set free. If we don't know we have a problem, there's no way that we're going to solve that problem. I believe we need to wake up and recognize that every person watching this program or listening by radio has a hardened heart towards God in some area. Now, that may be offensive to you because maybe, again, you aren't thinking of a hardened heart in the terms that the Scripture is using here. This is a part of what I'm trying to get across and share with you is to expand our understanding of what it means to have a hardened heart. What is the cause? What is the crisis? What causes a hardened heart and how do you cure it? Those are the things that we're going to be talking about. But when the Lord spoke this to me, it just absolutely shocked me and it set me on a path, on a quest, trying to figure out, so what is a hardened heart? What is it that's causing this? And so I began to pray about it. Let me just make a statement right here. Use this story. Again, if you listened to the program yesterday, this instance that I'm talking about happened right after Jesus had fed the 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. And uh, then it says that the disciples saw him walking on the water. He came into the ship, stilled the storm, translated to the other side of the lake, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, and it is putting that down. In other words, you shouldn't be shocked to see the supernatural power of God. It was because they had a hardened heart that they were shocked. Now, here's, here's a comparison that it should help you to understand this. Jesus, just that very day, had fed 5,000 men, not including all the women and children, with five little loaves of bread and two small fish. And he multiplied it and fed all of these people. And after they ate and they had seconds, as much as they wanted, they took up the fragments that were left over and they were able to fill 12 baskets with fragments. In other words, they had more food left after feeding 10 or 15,000 people than they did when they started. That is a supernatural miracle. Now, I believe that Jesus was blessed by this. I believe that Jesus... Uh, you know, it, I'm sure that it blessed his heart to see the faithfulness of God, to see the power of God flowing through him, to see his absolute authority and power, to see the people's lives that were changed through this. I am not saying that it didn't move him, but here's what I am saying. I don't believe that when Jesus took that loaf and blessed it and then broke it and gave to his disciples and looked down and here's another whole loaf, Instead of it diminishing because he gave some of it away, the loaf was still full. I don't believe that when that happened that Jesus went, wow, it worked. I don't believe he was shocked. I don't believe he was overwhelmed. I don't believe he was sore amazed in himself beyond measure and wondering and saying, wow, guys, it really worked. It worked. It worked. I believe that he was supernaturally natural. I believe he was blessed by it but I don't believe he was shocked by it. And so here's my point. As I was meditating upon these stories, I was shocked. I was overwhelmed. It was so abnormal from what I see and what I experience, this absolute total control 
over the elements, over everything that Jesus was expressing. Did you know what? It shocked me. And this scripture here in Mark chapter 6 verse 52 is saying the reason that the disciples and I was shocked was because of our hardness of heart. In other words, I believe that we should be blessed when we see the supernatural power of God. If you see a person raised from the dead, if you see a blind eye open, I believe it ought to bless you. There's certainly nothing wrong with rejoicing over that. You ought to rejoice over the good things that God has done, but it shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't shock you. It should not be abnormal to a Christian. As a matter of fact, it says specifically in Mark 6:52 that the reason they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered was because they had not considered the miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. In other words, if they would have been thinking about what Jesus had just done, he had fed at least 10, 15,000 people with five little loaves of bread and two small fish, had more food left over after filling all of them, eating as much as they wanted. He had more food left than they started with. Anybody who could do that could walk on water, could translate a boat to the other side of the lake. Anybody who could do that could do anything. Nothing is impossible unto them. If they would have really been thinking about it, if their heart would have been right, instead of being surprised to see Jesus walk on the water, they would have been expecting it. They would have been looking for it because Jesus is the one that was responsible for them being out there. It was against their better judgment. They didn't want to go out there. That's what it says in Mark six forty-five. Jesus had to constrain them. The word constrain means to compel. In other words, there was some resistance on their part They knew that a storm was brewing. They knew it wasn't smart to be out on the lake. And yet Jesus commanded them to do it. And so they did it out of sheer obedience to Jesus. So Jesus was responsible. They knew that Jesus wasn't in some hotel room asleep on a bed someplace. He was out in the open. He was in the same elements that they were in. Jesus was responsible for their plight. He was totally aware of their plight. And if they would have been thinking properly, instead of being shocked, surprised to see Jesus walk on the water, they would have been expecting it. And here's the point I'm trying to get across. You may not think that you have a hardened heart, but if you don't live in the supernatural to such a degree that seeing the supernatural doesn't surprise you, then you have a hardened heart. You are more accustomed to the natural realm than you are to the supernatural realm. That would mean that you are more natural than you are supernatural. And you know what? If there wasn't a God who has given us His Holy Spirit and has enabled us and told us things like John chapter 14 verse 12 where it says, The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. If that wasn't the normal for the Christian, well then it would be correct for us to be shocked, overwhelmed, surprised to see God's intervention in our life. But because God is alive, because He has promised us that we can do the same things that He did, that these signs will follow them that believe. If Since that is the normal Christian life, did you know what? It shouldn't surprise a believer to see God intervene, to see blind eyes open, deaf ears open, miracles to happen. You shouldn't get to where you take it for granted. You ought to always be blessed by it. You ought to always rejoice and praise God for the awesome things He does. 
but it should get to where it's not a big deal in the sense that it is surprising, shocking to you. You ought to get to where you live in the supernatural more than you live in the natural. And that's what these scriptures are saying in Mark chapter 6, verse 51 and 52. The reason the disciples were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered to see Jesus walk on the very thing that was about to kill them was because they had a hardened heart, because they responded to the natural realm and they lived in the natural realm more than they lived in the supernatural realm. Being in the supernatural was, was strange to them. It was uncomfortable to them. And you know what? It shouldn't be that way. We ought to get to where we live in a natural world, but we aren't of this natural world. To where we dwell in the presence of God, that we have God's power manifest in our life to such a degree that when we see a visible, physical manifestation, a miracle right in front of our eyes, it shouldn't surprise any of us. And yet, I'll have to be honest with you, I don't live in the supernatural realm as much as I should. I still am shocked sometimes at the things that the Lord does. I remember an instance in Omaha, Nebraska, where I was the one ministering. I called out things through the gifts of the Spirit. And I remember that I called out somebody had crossed eyes and uh, that God was going to straighten their eyes. And a little boy came up who was about 11 or 12 years old And this boy had eyes that were so crossed. I mean, his eyes were just totally crossed. Matter of fact, he had such bad vision because of this that he had to have somebody, I forget who it was, help him to the front and kind of guide him where he was going because his eyes were so crossed he couldn't see properly. And so anyway, I was praying and I put my hands on his eyes. I commanded those eyes to become straight and to open. And I was getting ready to tell him, now don't you be discouraged if you don't see instant manifestations. Sometimes, you know, it's uh, the Bible says you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, Mark 16, 18. And I was going to tell him that the power of God has come into you. Your eyes are going to straighten up. If it doesn't happen immediately, you just stand in faith. I was getting ready to help him to try and stand on this thing. And as soon as I took my hands off and as soon as I opened up my eyes and looked at him... His eyes were perfect. And I mean, prior to that time, they were totally crossed. They were perfect, instantly perfect. Man, it was so supernatural. I was believing for him to be healed, but I believed that it would happen gradually. I don't know why. I guess I don't know why. It's just what I was expecting. But I didn't expect to see a perfect, instant manifestation of this healing. And you know what happened? When I opened up my eyes and I saw his eyes were looking at me perfectly straight, you know what I did? This great faith man of God. I looked at him and I said, I don't believe it. Wrong thing to say. Stupid thing to say. Here I was believing for his healing. I'm the one that God spoke it to. I called it out. I prayed for him. I was believing for a healing. And when it happened instantaneously... It shocked me. I was amazed. I was believing for healing, but not a real supernatural instantaneous healing. I was believing for a gradual, progressive healing. And when I saw it, I said, I don't believe it. And you know what happened? The moment I said that, that guy's eyes, that little boy's eyes instantly crossed again. And man, I repented. I said, God, I'm sorry 
for expressing my unbelief. I asked God to forgive me. I prayed over this guy for another five or ten minutes or whatever. I never did see his eyes go back straight again. I mean, here I am, a minister of the gospel, praying for somebody, and when I saw an instantaneous manifestation, you know what? It revealed how much unbelief I had in my heart. It revealed how uncomfortable I was with seeing just supernatural things happen. Now, unless some of you get hard on me, I believe it would probably be the same with all of us. You know, a friend of mine, Dave Duell, tells a story about one time he ministered in a full gospel businessmen's meeting, and I can't remember the details, so I'm not even going to try and give them because I know I'll mess this story up. But he, anyway, spoke, and uh, then he started praying for people, and he saw somebody, I forgot what it was right now, but a supernatural healing miraculous healing, something that was visible, not just an internal organ, but some kind of a visible manifestation of God's healing power. And when it happened, I mean the whole place just fell quiet. There was total silence. Dave was shocked to see what had happened. I mean, it was a powerful display of God's power. And all of a sudden, he just spoke out to the group. He says, you know what this does? He says, seeing the miraculous power of God like this reveals how much unbelief we have in our heart. And so he said, I want all of you that right now see unbelief and that you have been operating in unbelief. I want you to step forward and I'm going to pray for you. And he said, the entire audience, hundreds of people, all of them stepped forward. I mean, they all saw this instant manifestation, but instead of it being just erupting in praise, you know what it did? It really revealed how much unbelief they had because people were shocked. People were stunned. You know, many of you may have trouble accepting this, but I really believe it's true that we have fallen so far from what God intended for us to be. And we get to comparing ourselves among ourselves and we look around and everybody seems to be having the same problems that we're having. They're struggling with the same things that we struggle with. And we just kind of somehow or another look and take an average and as long as we're close to the average dead person, lifeless, defeated person, we think, well, we're normal. But you know what? God made Christians to be supernatural not normal. Matter of fact, I often say it this way, if you aren't supernatural, you're superficial. God intended for us to walk in such a degree that like the apostles, Peter, he would walk by and his shadow would fall on people and they would be instantly raised up. Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Miracle after miracle happened. That is the normal Christian life. That isn't just for a few super saints. God intended for us to live at a level of miraculous intervention and power in our lives, not only for us, but through us to other people, that most of us are light years short of that. And you know what? We look around and we see the average Christian. Matter of fact, there's a large segment of the body of Christ that believes that really there is no visible proof of God in our lives other than emotional type of things and a confidence and a security about a future existence in heaven. But they believe that right now in this life, we struggle, we have the same defeats, the same failures, the same fears as anybody else. They don't preach a victorious living. There's a large segment of Christianity that preaches that. And because of it, many of us have just 
kind of settled into being average like everybody else. We are living so far below the standards that if something was to happen like happened here in the Bible where Jesus came walking on top of a raging storm, just totally in control, you would be sore amazed in yourself beyond measure. You would wonder just like the disciples were in Mark 6.51. And that would be an indication just like the Bible says in Mark 6.52 that you have a hardened heart. But I really believe that you can reach a place to where it wouldn't be shocking to you to see somebody raised from the dead, to see a blind eye open, to see a deaf ear open. I believe that we get ought to get so much into God and so much into the supernatural realm that to have God speak to you wouldn't be surprising. It wouldn't be shocking. Now, it should always be a blessing It ought to always encourage you. You ought to always rejoice at it. But I think that we are living in a realm of so much unbelief that we have been more affected by it than what we realize. And it shouldn't be shocking to us at all. You know, I come back from meetings and I have my staff say, so how was your gospel truth seminar? How did things go? And I say, oh, it was great. We saw a lot of people blessed and things like this. And You know what? I am blessed by what God does, but I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked anymore. And as a matter of fact, there are times that I come back and we have seen great miracles of healing. I mean, we have seen awesome things happen and it just doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me anymore. I'll come back and just report and say, oh, it was a great meeting. And then later they find out some of the things that happened and they come and say, well, why didn't you tell me about that? Well, it wasn't that I wasn't blessed. It's just that it's normal. It, it's not unusual anymore. It's normal. You know, let me give you this testimony that uh, some of you have heard me talk about this, but on March the 4th, 2001, my wife and I were awakened at uh, 4.15, I believe it was, in the morning, and my oldest son, Joshua, called to say that my youngest son, Peter, had died. And I asked him what happened, and then I said, well, the first report's not the last report. Don't let anybody touch him until we get there. It turned out that he'd been dead at that time about over four hours, somewhere between four and five hours. He had turned black. He he was dead. They actually had him stripped naked, put in a freezer with a toe tag on, which they don't do if you aren't dead. And... uh, So anyway, my wife and I got this report and we prayed and commanded life to come back into him. But then we had to get dressed and get up and it takes us about an hour to drive into town. It was nearly an hour and a half before we were able to get there. And we lived so far out in the country, our cell phones didn't work. And during that drive in, I had the same thoughts, the same feelings, the same fears, everything come to me that anybody would. And I just didn't like them. And so I got to resisting it. And I started praising God. And as soon as I started praising God, I said, God, it's not your fault. You did not kill my son. And I just started praising him for his faithfulness. As soon as I did, the Lord brought back to my remembrance prophecies that had been spoken over him that had not come to pass. And I know, I know beyond any doubt that these prophecies were from God. They came in supernatural ways. And so I know it was God speaking to me. Those things hadn't been fulfilled. Therefore, I knew not only was it God's will for him to come back, but I believed he was coming back. And I got to rejoicing. 
And I, our cell phones wouldn't work. We couldn't get an update. The last we had heard, my son had been dead for nearly four or five hours. And I just started rejoicing and praising God that he was alive. I told Jamie, I said, this is going to be the greatest thing we've ever seen. I rejoiced. And when we walked in, my oldest son came out to meet me and he said, Dad, I don't know what happened, but within five or ten minutes after I called you, Peter just sat up and started talking. He's alive. Now, what do you think should be the reaction? Did you know that honestly, some of you, if you don't understand what I'm saying here about a hardened heart, you may misunderstand what I'm saying. But there was zero response from me. I didn't go, oh, hallelujah, it worked, and start dancing and praising God. I didn't let out a shout. I didn't do anything. I didn't cry. I didn't say, oh, thank you, Father. In some ways, people would think I was just totally untouched by the thing. But you know what? I had already seen it by faith. I had already done my rejoicing. I had already been praising God. I had already released my faith. And I was so set on what I believed God spoke to me that if I would have walked in and if Jonathan Peter hadn't have been raised from the dead, that's when I would have been shocked. That's when I would have been overwhelmed. That's when I would have been surprised. I was in faith and it would have shocked me if I hadn't have seen my son raised from the dead. Now, I would have still loved God and I would have still served God and I understand that there's things that I don't totally understand yet. I wouldn't have been bitter. It's none of those things. But I'm just saying that I was believing so strong that I would have been absolutely shocked if he hadn't have been raised from the dead. But he was, praise God. And I mean, he's no damage. I just talked to him a few moments ago and he is absolutely normal. I mean, as normal as he's ever been. <laughs> and uh, you know what? It's an absolute miracle. It's now been five years, over five years. And there is no health da- damage for being dead nearly five hours. It's a miracle. But you know what? You can get to a place to where I'm blessed by it. You've heard me talk about it. I praise God for it. There's lots of times I praise God. I am thankful. I am not insensitive. I hadn't taken it for granted, but I'm not shocked. Did you know what? This is normal Christianity. And I don't claim that I have moved into the realm of God 100% the way I should. There are things that still shock me. There's areas of my life where I am hardened and I am not renewed the way that I should be. But you know what? I I can see it and I'm tasting it a little bit. I'm getting to a place to where living in God, hearing God speak to me, feeling God's presence, having His pleasure, knowing that He loves me, seeing the supernatural power of God flow through me and blind eyes open, deaf ears open, the dead being raised, the lame walking. Those things aren't strange to me anymore. They don't surprise me. Matter of fact, it's getting to where it's really abnormal, it's unusual if I don't see the things that I'm believing for come to pass. What I'm trying to say here is that whether you relate to it or not, I really believe this to be true, that we all have areas of our life where we are hardened towards God more than we realize. And I tell you, before you can fix this problem, you've got to, first of all, 
acknowledge that this, that this is a problem. If you think that the average person today who is just as sick as their unsaved neighbor, just as poor as their unsaved neighbor, just as fearful about what's going to happen as their unsaved neighbor, has just as much lack of hope as their unsaved neighbor, and everything. If you, if you were to take the average Christian and put them next to a non-believer, you wouldn't even be able to tell a difference between most of them in the way that they look, in the way that they act, in the way that they feel, in the results that they get. The average person that calls himself a Christian today, the difference between them and an unsaved person is all about the future, all about heaven. But in this day-to-day life, the average Christian is not experiencing the joy, the peace, the deliverance, the healing, the victory that God intended for them too. And the reason for it is because our heart is insensitive, unfeeling, unyielding. It's cold towards God. That's what the Bible calls a hardened heart. It is the hardness of our heart that is keeping us from receiving from God. And before you can fix this problem, you've got to acknowledge where the problem is. To me, this is a major point, that it's not God who has changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants you to be prosperous and to live in victory and to be healed and healthy and joyful and blessed. God is a good God. It's not God that's changed. You know what's changed? It's our heart. Our heart has become cold, insensitive, unfeeling, and unyielding to God in these areas. And I tell you, to me, that is a major point. It's a major point. Some of you aren't blessed by this, and you say, so you're saying it's my fault. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. But you know what? It's important that you realize where the fault lies. You know, I could spend a lot of time on this, but hopefully, if you'd just be honest, everybody would acknowledge that there's times that what's going on in your family, what's going on at work, what's going on in your body, what has happened to a friend has occupied your attention so much that you can't focus on the things of God. That would be another way of just saying this, that to describe hardness of heart, if you are more focused on anything than you are on God, then in that sense, you are sensitive to that thing more than you are to God. God is not dominating all of your thoughts and occupying all of your attention. So whatever you're you're dominated by, whatever you're controlled by, that's what you're sensitive to. And what you are neglecting is what you are hardened to or in the process of becoming hardened to. Let me use some other scriptures to verify this. We took those first scriptures out of Mark chapter 6. Well, just two chapters over, Mark chapter 8, Jesus did nearly the identical thing that he had done in Mark chapter 6. He fed another multitude of people. This time there was less people. There was only 4,000 men, whereas the first time there was 5,000 men. And this time there was more food. There were seven loaves instead of five. So less people, more food. You would have thought that the disciples would have been able to pick up that if Jesus could feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish, then certainly he could feed 4,000 men with seven loaves. But instead, they missed this. And so after Jesus had fed this second multitude with just a very small amount of food and had multiplied it, he began to speak unto his disciples and uh, kind of rebuke them in Uh, Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, it says, He charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? He's, he's talking about a hardness of heart. And in these verses, what he's doing is basically giving us some of the characteristics of a hardened heart. He said, perceive ye not yet. Let me just say it this way. Uh, do you have trouble perceiving spiritual truths? You know, maybe you're a person who functions very well in your job. You're an accountant or you deal with things and, or you deal with people and you can get the... Uh, you know, the sales area, whatever it is, the stats. You deal with all these numbers. You deal with people. You're very adept. You know your brain works. You're functioning and you're prospering. And yet, when it comes to the Bible, it just seems like, man, it's it, you just can't seem to perceive it. You know, one of the statements that I have people make to me, one of the biggest, most uh, common statements that come to me, people say, I have read those scriptures a hundred times and I never saw that. You just bring things out of the scripture that I've never seen before. Another way of saying that would be them saying that, you know, I just don't see things in scripture easily. You know, if that's descriptive of you, then according to what Jesus is saying right here, that's an indication that you have a hardened heart. That in some area of your life, you are cold, insensitive, unfeeling, are unyielding towards God. You aren't able to perceive spiritual truth. I'm not saying that to condemn you, but I'm saying it to point out and give you understanding that this is what it is. It's like if you go to the doctor and if you're having a problem, you want to know what the problem is. And when the doctor tells you you've got this, you don't get mad at the doctor. It's not like he gave it to you by saying that. He's just discovered what the problem is. And before you can prescribe a treatment and a cure for the thing, you first of all have to know what it is that you've got. So don't get mad at me. I'm not saying these things to condemn anybody. I'm just saying it to help you. If you are struggling to understand spiritual truths, it's because what the Scripture says, your heart is hardened. The next thing that this says in verse 17, it says, uh, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. So the second thing is, if you see something and even have it explained to you, you still don't understand it. It just seems like there isn't the aptitude. It just seems like spiritual understanding is something that is beyond you. You know, if that's descriptive of you, if it seems like you're struggling in some area, well, then that's because you have a hardened heart. You know, and I'm not, again, saying these things to condemn anybody. There are some things that God has shown me that I just perceive quickly. I understand them. But, you know, there's some things right now that I'm praying about that I still haven't understood. And I'm seeking the Lord on it, and I can guarantee you it's not because God isn't willing to show me, but it's because of the condition of my heart. It's because my heart has become hardened in that area. And so how do you solve that? Well, that's the rest of this teaching. I don't want to get ahead of myself. The next thing it says in verse 18, it says, Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not, and do ye not remember. Now in verse 18, he says, Having eyes see ye not. You know, Jesus made statements like this when he was here on the earth and teaching in his physical body. He would say, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Did you know every single person, every person in that crowd had ears on their head, but they didn't hear with their heart. 
In other words, there is a difference between just hearing a sound and perceiving what that sound is, understanding it, taking that knowledge and applying it and stuff like this. You know, I could give you a lot of examples of this, but look at this passage. I'm going to come back to Mark chapter 8, but look in Proverbs chapter 4 at this passage. Proverbs 4.20, it says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Now, what does that mean? When it says incline your ear, is that talking about tilting your head at a certain angle? This is, that's not what it's talking about. The very context of this, look at this again. In verse 20 it says, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. What he's talking about here is that you can sensitize your hearing to where you hear God speak to you. If you take this in its context, that's exactly what he's talking about. Don't let these sayings depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. It's talking about just staying focused on the things of God. And as you focus on the things of God, did you know that you can actually sensitize your hearing to where you can hear God when other people can't hear God? And that's what Jesus was talking about over in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 8, verse 18, where it says, Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not. Every person has ears, but you know, you can either get to where you hear what's going on in the natural realm, or you hear what's going on in the spiritual realm. You can get to where you see what's going on in the natural realm, or to where you see what goes on in the spiritual realm. You have an ability to see and hear things beyond just this physical realm. You can see into the spiritual realm. You can have spiritual perception and understanding. You can have spiritual hearing. You know, even in just the natural realm, let me give you this illustration. When, when I was in Vietnam, I lived on a fire support base, which was a remote military installation way out in the field that gave support to the troops that were out in the jungle area and things like this. And we had mortars and uh, 155s and different, uh, you know, uh, armaments that when the troops got under attack, we would fire from our fire support base as support for them out in the field. So anyway, we were on top of a mountain and we had all of these armaments. Because of that, we had a generator going that was just right up behind the bunker that I slept in. And any time of the day or night, mortars would go off. We had incoming mortars and outgoing mortars. We had uh, what they called a, a 105 recoilless. Maybe it was recoilless 105, I forget. And then we had uh, 50 caliber machine guns and all kinds of things. And so we had all of this armament there. And we would be giving fire support to the troops in the field day or night. And I mean, it was just a constant roar of this generator, incoming, outgoing mortars. When that 105 uh, or 155 um, recoilless went off, everything in my bunker that I had up on a shelf or anything, it would all fall on the floor. I mean, it was deafening in the, in the percussion from that. Uh, it was just amazing. And so all of these noises were going off constantly. And here's my point, that because it was normal, you know what I did? I tuned those sounds out. Or the scriptural terminology here would be 
that I just hardened my heart towards it. I desensitized myself. I got to where that, you know, these these uh, rounds would go off, all of these loud explosions, and I could sleep through the whole thing. As a matter of fact, one time we had a UE helicopter, a U.S. friendly UE helicopter, asked for grid coordinates to uh, practice uh, shooting. And anyway, they gave them the wrong grid coordinates. It was a mistake. And by accident, that uh, UE Cobra came through our base and unleashed some of his firepower. And he had uh, uh, 55 caliber rounds that came right through my bunker within inches of where I was sleeping, right beside my bed. And in the morning when I woke up, the chaplain was just all beside himself. I was a chaplain's assistant, and I lived in the bunker with the chaplain. And the chaplain was just uh, beside himself talking about how that we nearly got killed. And I said, what do you mean? I didn't hear a thing. And he says, you didn't wake up when we were attacked. And he had to tell me about it. And I looked and I could see where these bullet holes had gone through about a foot worth of sand and about a foot worth of timbers and gone through all of that and straight through the floor. And I dug down into the, uh, took the flooring off and dug down into the dirt. I never did find those rounds. That's how powerful it was. And it came right through our bunker. And you know what? I slept through the whole thing. There was another instance where I pulled bunker guard on this bunker that we call bunker number one, and it was like a remote bunker. It was not exactly inside the perimeter. It was like an outpost, and it was kind of a dangerous thing, and there was four of us down there. And I pulled the first bunker guard, and there was a guy that sat up on top of the bunker with me. The other two were down inside asleep, and we were on bunker guard. And I tried to talk to him, and I asked him what his name was, and he said, 40 days. And I said, well, is that how long you've been in, in Vietnam? And he said, 40 days. I said, well, is that how long you've got to go? He said, 40 days. Turned out he was Puerto Rican. He didn't speak any English, and he had been drafted and sent over there. And so anyway, I couldn't carry on a conversation with the guy. I just pulled my bunker guard, and after I got through, he, it was his turn. And so he stayed up on top. I went down into the bunker and went to sleep. And I woke up about 5 o'clock or so. You're supposed to pull bunker guard until 6 a.m. I woke up while it was still dark. And there, the two guys that were supposed to be down inside the bunker weren't there. So I went on up on top of the bunker and nobody was there. Nobody was around. There was nobody there. So anyway, I stayed until 6 o'clock. And at 6 o'clock, I was headed back up the hill towards my normal bunker. And I had people meet me and say, are you all right? Did you get hurt? And I said, I'm fine. What, what happened? And it turned out that this Puerto Rican was crazy. And when he got on bunker guard, he blew off all of the Claymore mines around that bunker, which if any of you were ever in Vietnam or have ever been around a Claymore mine, when those things go off, it'll bounce you that high off the ground. It is deafening in the, in the, uh, Shockwave from that is just amazing. He blew off all the Claymore mines. He threw every hand grenade we had. He shot all of our M79 grenades. He shot all of his uh, M16 rounds up the hill towards the United States troops and everything. And And they were ready to blow this guy away because he just lost it somehow or another. But they knew that I was still down there. The other two guys had escaped and run up the hill. But I was still down there. And so because of that, they just let him blow up all of this stuff, and in the morning I had to be told about it. 
My point is that, you know what? I got to where I could tune things out. I heard the noises. I wasn't deaf, but they were just normal. And so I didn't uh, respond to them. In a sense, in the scriptural sense of this word, I hardened myself so that I heard, but I didn't hear. And you know what? That's what the Bible is talking about. You can get to where that God speaks to you, but you can't perceive it. You can't understand it. You have eyes to see, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. In other words, this is talking about just like you can tune your hearing towards you hear to where you hear certain things and tune out other things. I guarantee there's so many examples. I've already given a couple of these, but have you ever been in an airplane or something where a parent is able to just tune their kid out? Their kid is screaming, yelling, doing something, and the parents just sitting there reading as if uh, nothing is happening. Everybody else on the plane is hearing them, but that parent. For whatever reason, they have ignored their kid, and I don't recommend that. I think that that's uh, wrong child training, wrong child rearing. That's certainly not right. But I've seen people that they can just tune out these uh, distractions and stuff like that. Well, you know what? In the same way, your heart can get to where you hear certain things and miss other things. And the sad fact is that we have gotten to where we hear unbelief and fear, and hurt, and tragedy, and things like this much easier than we hear God and His love and the goodness of God and things like this. Our heart has been conditioned to where we are insensitive towards God. It's like a television station or something. They're always sending out the signal. But you can tune your receiver to where you hear this station or another station or something like that. You can tune a station out and tune another one in. Well, it's the same thing. God is always broadcasting. God is always telling you that He loves you. God is always releasing healing and deliverance and power and prosperity towards you. God is never our problem. God is always releasing His supply towards you. But you know what? Our heart can tune Him out to where we don't hear it to where we don't receive the encouragement. And instead of operating in faith, we operate in fear. Your heart can do that. And that's what this is talking about. You can have ears and yet never hear what God has to say. You can have eyes that see all of the problems in this world, but have no ability to see the goodness of God. I've run across this a lot, and I'm sure that you have too, that there are some people that they are just masters of seeing the wrong side of everything. You know, we have a word for this, pessimist. And there are some people that, I mean, it doesn't matter what they do. You know, the glass, if you fill it up to a certain level, they're going to see it half empty instead of half full. They are going to see the negative side of anything. Amen. You know, I play golf with somebody. I won't mention who this is, but I mean, we try and encourage them and say, good shot, and they'll say, well... That next one's going to be bad. If they hit two in a row that are good, oh, well, that's two in a row. You ought to be encouraged. Well, it'll be bad the next time. They, it doesn't matter what you say to them. It doesn't matter how you compliment them. They are just negative, 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 negative. Some people are so negative they can't see anything positive in this life. You know what that is? That's having a hardened heart. If you're a negative person, if you're a person that's lost hope, you've got a hardened heart. I'm not saying these things to condemn you, but I'm saying it to enlighten you. And look back in Mark chapter 8 
in verse 18. Here's the next thing it says. It says, and do ye not remember? So again, he's listing symptoms of a hardened heart. He said, if you can't perceive, that shows that you've got a hardened heart. If you can't understand, you've got a hardened heart. If you have eyes, but you can't see, you have a hardened heart. If you have ears, but you can't hear God, you can't hear spiritual things, you have a hardened heart. And the last thing it says, it says, and do ye not remember? Boy, now this is one that really a lot of people identify with this. But you know what? Your inability to remember what God says to you is a sign of a hardened heart. I bet you that many of you can relate to this. That, you know, you have uh, gone to church, you've heard the preacher preach a message, you've been blessed by it, you leave, you shake the preacher's hand, say, good message, preacher. You go out to eat and within 30 minutes, if somebody said, what did the preacher preach on? You can't even remember. You don't even remember what the topic was. You don't remember the scriptures. I I can guarantee you there's a lot of people that you just have an, an inability to remember things that God has spoken in your life. And you think, well, somehow or another, my brain just doesn't work. I just can't remember scriptures. I can't remember where a scripture is. Oh, God said something to me and it was really important, but I just can't remember where it is. I've had people come to me and because I can quote so many verses and I can give you the address where they're located, I've had people come to me and say, so you just must have a photographic memory. You know, I just don't have the same ability that you have. Well, I can guarantee you I don't have a photographic memory. My staff could verify that. Uh, Man, I forget all kinds of things. Matter of fact, I've got one person that that's about their sole job is to keep me reminded of what I'm supposed to do and things that I'm supposed to do, and it's a full-time job. You know what? I do not have a photographic memory. I remember when we went on camping trips a lot, and I'd take my staff with me, some of my staff members, and we'd go out camping. They finally printed up a list of things that we were supposed to do. And they would print out a list of things that I was supposed to bring. And before we would go, they would ask me, did you get this? Did you get this? And because, you know what, it's just, I mean, I'm famous for the things that I can forget. I don't know exactly how it is. I liken it to like a computer when you begin to fill up all of the space on it. And so it starts slowing down because you've got... Your hard drive is full. Well, one of the ways to deal with that is to take all of the unnecessary information on there and take it off and, and free up some space and it, and it begins to run faster. Well, in a sense, that's the way my brain functions. You know what? It just bogs me down to remember all of these little details and I get focused on something and so what I do, I just download everything that isn't essential. I can forget anything. When I'm ministering, I could literally forget anything. I could forget my wife's name. I could forget anything. I get so focused on what I'm doing, I just download this stuff. And as a result, I don't always remember things. My point in saying all of this is to say that, see, I can quote scripture, I can do things, and people come to me and say, well, you just have a photographic memory. Nope, that's not true. It isn't true in any other area. But you know why I can remember scripture? Because my heart is sensitive to that. That's where my focus is. That's where my heart is. That's what I live and breathe is I study the Word of God. The Word of God is one of the most important things in my life. And I love the Word of God. And because of it, you know what? I can retain those things. And the very people who come to me and say, I just can't remember Scripture. I just don't have the ability. Those same people can tell me who won the World Series 
who won the Super Bowl. They can tell me people's names. They know the names of all of these people 40 and 50 years ago who did something in sports. They can tell me actors and actresses and tell me what movie they were in and say, you know what, I've heard those things and I just can't remember it. You know why? Because my heart isn't there. My heart isn't sensitive to that. That's not what my heart is focused on. I can hear the information. And because it's just not really the main focus of my life, it's just like I download it and somehow or another lose it. And it's the exact same thing for a person who says that they can't remember Scripture. It's not because your brain isn't functioning. It's because your heart isn't sensitive to that. That's not where your focus is and you just can't remember things. That's a symptom of a hardened heart. And you know, this is something that uh, to me is just really critical. The Lord showed me these truths about a hardened heart 25, 30 years ago. And I've been applying this to my life. But I still haven't arrived. And I tend to go in, um, you know, in kind of in stages. For a period of time, I'll get occupied with something and not even realize that my heart is becoming cold, insensitive, unfeeling or unyielding towards God, hardened in some area. And then some of these symptoms will start popping up. And one of them that first of all shows up is this inability to remember. And you know, I'll be studying the Word. God will speak something to me and then I'll get a phone call or I'll get distracted. I'll have to go do something. And when I come back, I'm trying to remember. Now, what was it that God was saying to me? And you know what? If I have a hard time recounting that, recovering that thing, you know why it is? It's because my attention has been drawn away from something and I've been occupied with things other than God. You know, when I am seeking God with all of my heart, I'm just giving you testimony about myself and I believe that this is true of other people too. I believe it's exactly what these scriptures are saying. But when I am seeking God with my whole heart, I have an ability to perceive, to understand, to hear from God, to see things that I couldn't see, and I can retain things and I can remember. I mean, it seems like that my heart functions at a higher level when I am just really focused on the things of God. But you know what? Even though I'm a minister, I have a a lot of things to do here. And there's times that I get bogged down with meetings with people and I get to doing things and I have other things that distract me the same as anybody else. And you know, when I go days without having spent time studying the Word and praying and really focusing on God and thinking about the things of God, I mean, it doesn't take very long until I start realizing, recognizing a diminished ability to be able to perceive things and understand. I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's one of the very first symptoms of a hardened heart in my life is an inability to remember the things that God has spoken to me. I I bet you every one of you have had something happen to where you had a problem, say for instance in the area of healing, you were seeking God. God gave you a word, spoke something to you, and boom. I mean, just like that, because you applied it. You saw the healing power of God manifest. A miracle happened, and you think, I'll never have this problem again. I've got a word from God. But then you get over that crisis. You go back to being carnal the way you were before. And then the next time you come into a crisis, here you are going through the same 
problems, the same symptoms, just as if you had never had that word from God, just as if God hadn't have shown you something. And you're halfway into the thing, and then all of a sudden you remember. Well, you know, God, this has happened to me before. God gave me my answer. God showed me what to do. And you take the word of God and apply it, and you wonder, why didn't I remember that? You know why? Because you were occupied with the things of this world, and it hardened your heart. It limited your ability to remember to perceive and to understand. That's exactly what a hardened heart does. It just makes you dull, unable to perceive, unable to understand. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't remember what God has done in your life. Man, those are some serious indictments. You know what? This is also very uh, descriptive of where most of us are. I mean, I have people come to me at my meetings. I just got through with a set of meetings, and I had dozens and dozens and dozens of people come up and ask me questions that they wouldn't have phrased it this way, but by their own statements, they just can't perceive, they can't understand. They're trying to hear from God. They can't hear the voice of God. They're trying to do all of these things. They can't remember. And you know what? They wouldn't use these words, but they're basically just saying, I'm hard-hearted. I'm telling you, this is where most people live. Most people live in a state of being hardened towards God to where they aren't able to perceive spiritual truth. And I tell you, that's terrible. And yet that's where the vast majority of us are. This is not normal. This is not the way that God intended it to be, and it's not the way it has to be. But first of all, before you can fix the problem, you've got to first of all admit that that is the problem, that it's on our part. It's not God's problem, and you have to humble yourself and start finding out what it is that caused you to become that way. You know, let me use one last example here. Pharaoh in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were brought out of the land of Egypt and God poured out those ten plagues on the land of Egypt, I think that there's about 20-something times, I forget the exact number, but there's 20-something times that the Scripture talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. So there's probably more scriptures referring to Pharaoh's heart being hardened than there is about any other individual in the Bible. And there's a number of times that it says God hardened his heart, but I believe that God only hardened Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh had already hardened it. God isn't going to take away our ability to perceive and understand and see and hear and remember and treat us unjustly. But if we choose to go that direction, then I believe that God could just harden us. He could just refuse to shed His light into our heart and He could take our own choices and use them to bring glory unto Himself. And that's what He did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh proclaimed himself as God. He thought that, you know, He was God. There was no other God but Him. And anybody who would do something like that has a hardened heart towards God. And so since He had already made that decision, God just further hardened his heart. And this is the only reason that he was able to persist on the course that he had had taken. I mean, God poured out these terrible plagues on the land of Egypt. And I mean, the waters were turned into blood. Nobody could find any water to drink. The ground, the dirt literally turned into lice that got into man and into beast. Frogs came up out of the thing. There was lightning and and, uh, fire that came out of a clear sky with no clouds. There was hail that fell out of a clear sky. There were all of these terrible plagues. The firstborn was killed. 
And yet, every time after something would happen, Pharaoh would humble himself and say, you know what, I'm wrong, I'll let you go. But then it says that God would harden his heart. And immediately after God hardened his heart, he would lose his reason. It's like he wasn't able to perceive. He wasn't able to understand. He couldn't remember the last plague that had happened. And he would just persist in his course. Finally, after the children of Israel were delivered out of the land of Egypt, it says that God told them to encamp in a certain place because he was going to trick Pharaoh and bring Pharaoh and his armies down and destroy them. And it says specifically that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then boom, here come the Egyptians. They had just been devastated. Pharaoh's own firstborn son had been killed. All of his army officers, everybody, the whole nation of Israel had been brought to their knees through the power of God. You would think that under no circumstances would they fight against God anymore. But the scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then the next sentence is Pharaoh pursued after the Israelites. I'm telling you, when you get a hardened heart, you don't have the ability to perceive. You can't think straight. And spiritually speaking, our hearts have become hardened towards God so that we aren't able to think straight. And I'm telling you, this is a malady that affects people today. Pharaoh not only pursued the children of Israel, but as he came down upon the Israelites, it says that this pillar of uh, fire and cloud that dwelt over the Israelites, it came and it stood in this valley so that it separated and barred the Egyptians' ways to the uh, uh, Israelites. And during the night, that cloud of fire gave light unto the Israelites so that they could cross the Red Sea as the Lord had parted the Red Sea. They could cross on dry ground, but it gave darkness unto the Egyptians. You know, it would seem like that if you did pursue after the Israelites, that when this pillar of fire gives light to your enemies, but fire provides darkness to you, that you would have figured this out, that you shouldn't be fighting against them. And this wasn't some rash decision that they made on the spur of the moment. This took about 12 hours during the night. And in the morning light, after sitting there for 12 hours and seeing all of this mighty display of the power of God, it says that the Lord dissipated the fire in the cloud and Pharaoh went down into the Red Sea. How dumb can you get and still breathe? I mean, to pursue into this miraculous uh, opening that God had made through the Red Sea. They pursued down into there. And then when they got into the midst of the Red Sea, it says the Lord took off their chariot wheels. And finally, somebody says, the Lord fights for Israel. Let's flee. Man, I think I could have figured that a long time ago. But you know what that is? That's an indication of having a hardened heart. God hardened their hearts and it made them basically like spiritually retarded. They were not able to put two and two together. Sad to say that's where a lot of us are. 